Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. His prediction slash Thursday slash Friday slash Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Thanks to Amazon recording this Thursday evening. Uh, Gamecock football this weekend, 3.30 p.m. kickoff. SEC Network, Troy at South Carolina. Gamecock seven-point favorite. Uh, those that maybe think that spreads a lot, I don't even disagree with the spread at this point. Uh, for those of you on the bigspur.com and thanks to Heritage Digital for I have problems saying the word digital, digital, digital. I need to like uh, train my mouth to say digital, heritage, digital, heritage, digital. Thanks to Heritage Digital for uh, sponsoring the first part of the show. As always, news and notes, not a whole lot. Uh, those of you that are on the big like I was saying, you know, I've kind of been on a little bit of a war path this week about the offense, uh, and not so much the players and the talent and all that. I mean, some folks have to realize, look, there, there's a big difference between, you know, talent. Everybody talks about talent, you know, everybody talks about five-star, four-star, whatever. And that, that gets a, a lot of what I think is outsized attention, in college football, I think we should probably hype the folks that, uh, you know, you can hype recruits. There's no question. But once they get to college, hype the folks that are actually good players. Uh, I think you see some of that across the country this year. In fact, JC and Morgan podcast this week talks about the chaos factor and kind of why some teams are struggling. Uh, and I think folks just sort of go talent. Uh, even folks that don't even remember back in the Spurrier era, like how the recruiting went, you know, they'll start listing, you know, we don't get recruits that are highly rated, like, you know, and they'll mention DJ Swearinger, and he was a three-star guy. Uh, so there's a lack of understanding about talent. I think it's easy just to go, there's no talent on this team. And that's not true. Now, uh, is this team on offense the 2019 LSU Tigers? No. 
you know, they are uh, probably, if all said and done, and I would call it an emerging bunch at wide receiver. They've been better, honestly, than I thought. Some guys have really stepped up. You see more guys. There was Rico Powers and EJ Jenkins in there the other night in crunch time. That's good. Um, you know, you got pass catching guys like Jaheim Bell and Nick Muse at tight end. Uh, the offensive line, you know, as much heat as they've taken, <clears throat> and it's easy to sit there and say talent, 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 talent. Well, look, man, they've got nine guys in their – and Jazz Turnantine's in his second year. But the rest of them are in their third or fourth year, nine guys that have started during their – well, I'm sorry, Vershawn Lee is in his second year. So, so nobody's a freshman in their top ten, like a, like a true freshman, okay? Um. Uh, yeah, it's been with talent. So, so, so that's not really something you're with, with those kind of numbers. You're not really planning on recruiting your way out of it. Now, I think I think they need more guys like you know, they, like they got coming in, like Ryan Brubaker and Grayson Maines and um, uh, Kason Henry. Uh, those guys are kind of tackle guys, you know, they all got good feet, they're about six five. Uh, and maybe you need more true tackles out there. Um, because, you know, there's sometimes where, you know, I think in the interest of athleticism with what Wolf liked to do as opposed to Atkins, you know, you'd kind of maybe sacrifice prototypical tackle skills for just big athletes. And that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm not – I'm not thro- – I would never throw this at Wolford. He left, the, he left that in great shape. Okay, bottom line. I've seen bad offensive lines in South Carolina. I've seen Steve Spurrier have to start Thomas Coleman and Seth Edwards who were walk-ons at guard just to kind of be able to run the ball. I've seen the 2016 offensive line. I mean, players-wise, it's night and day, right? Are these guys the Nebraska Cornhuskers from 1995? I'll use another example now. Are are these guys like the bad news bears of offensive lines, which is what they look like now? No. They should be better. And it's hard for me to blame it on Greg Atkins unless he's directly responsible for whatever blocking scheme they're trying to run. And my understanding is – it's not. It's all. It's the it's offense. You know, uh, it's too complicated for for them to execute, and and that 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 gets you in trouble. I think in offensive football in general, you know, college football offenses should be fun. They should be relatively easy to learn. I'm not saying that if you go out there and don't know how to run routes and stuff, you should still be able to get in it because you have to do some learning. It's it's a it's a, a game where once you get the thinking out of the way. And you get it down cold, it's, you know, it's easy, but you have to be able to think and process and quickly. Um, but when you when you overcomplicate things, and, and then it should be, you know, it should be fun, it should be easy to learn, and it should be versatile. Because not everybody gets the same type of player every, every other year. There's all kinds of different quarterbacks these days that honestly, whereas it used to be, all right, we're a wishbone team, we're going to put a guy that's probably going to be a defensive back or wide receiver in the NFL at quarterback or like Pat White for West Virginia with this, the Bridge Rodriguez stuff. Rodriguez, when he was at the Ole Miss, John Reese Plumley. Now Matt Corral's beating my Plumley as a receiver. I mean, you know, things like that are kind of going the way of the Dodo Bird. These days, it's just really quarterback. And you got to be able to throw, first and foremost. But then it's really helpful if you're mobile. You know, so, so sort of the days of the – extreme tree, plant your feet, uh, tall pocket passers that can't move. 
those guys aren't finding a lot of success. Uh, and then the, the the guys that can't throw that can just run are not finding a lot of success. You know, guy. And then you have your dynamic guys like Lamar Jackson, who I think can run and throw. Uh, really, honestly, you know. But but that's kind of the modern day quarterback kind of deal. Um, and the problem you're going to have, you know, when you overcomplicate things, is, you know, all right. Let me back up talking about modern offense is versatile, you know, because there's going to be some guys that are a little better at one thing than the other. So that's my point. You're going to have a general uh, quarterback prototype that you go after, but there will be guys, you know, okay, so I'll give you an example. Let's compare uh, Jake Bentley to Luke Doty. Okay. So Jake, not a statue in the pocket, but can, and can run a little bit, not the runner Doty is. Doty's a little shorter than Jake, uh, you know, good arm, but a little bit different type of passer uh, and that type of thing. But they're kind of the same guy, and you can run them in the same offense. You know, there's a little bit different. news. So you got to be versatile, too. You can't put all your eggs in one basket because then what if you have injuries? You know, you're going to be in trouble there. Um, so, so, so that's what college offenses should be. You can take – NFL stuff and use it because NFL certainly takes it from college. I mean, we're living in an era where Cliff Kingsbury is a head coach in the NFL doing pretty well. Uh, Andy Reid's adopted air raid stuff with the Chiefs. Uh, you know, it, it could be that way, but you can't just install a complicated NFL offense and expect to be successful. Now, I don't know exactly that that's what's going on at South Carolina. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't ever ask about the playbook or anything like that. It's top secret, you know. But what it seems to me is, you know, it's too complicated, no matter what they're doing. And you keep hearing over and over from Marcus Satterfield, especially NFL, NFL this, NFL that. Well, this is college football, man. That's the SEC. I agree the SEC is sort of like a mini NFL, but it's not to the point where people are lining up and and running these uh, sophisticated pro offenses. In college football, there's not enough time in the week. You're only you're limited to 20 hours a week. Practice meetings. You don't have any scrimmages to fine tune these things. You don't have any exhibition games. You know, uh, and it's kind of funny. We're four games in, and that's what seems like it's been going on. Exhibition game. Well, these are you know preseason games. Well, woo woo. The, there's not 16 regular season games, and, and the playoff is for four teams. You know, um, so I don't know. I don't, you know, that's what it seems like when you look at offense. I feel bad. Uh, I feel bad for the offensive players because they're obviously confused. These are not guys, you know, and and look, another quote by Marcus Satterfield today that baffled me was he's like, we're a young team. And I'm like, well, this really isn't a young team. This is is a young quarterback, a young quarterback, but. Man, you've got, uh, like I said, the offensive line, three or four-year guys all across the board, at least in year three. Um, Now, for Sean Lee starts Saturday at left guard in place of Nichols, he's in year two. Eric Douglas, I think, well, how how many years has he been there? A billion? (laughs) Uh, You know, obviously, Jovan Gwynn's been there a while. I think he's the leader in starts. Dylan Wanham's been there a while. I mean – these guys aren't young. Nick Muse isn't young. Jaheim Bell is. 
receivers aren't young. Josh Van and Jalen Brooks are both older guys. So this is not a young football team. And so for a veteran team like this to be completely confused is baffling. And the only thing I can think of, and maybe I'm wrong, is that with all the emphasis and, and see, we just got through, and this is what's frustrating for you guys. We just got through with an era where the National Football League and and not what would I say the its presence, I guess, but the emphasis on and, and this was different. They, you know, obviously Will Muschamp's defense was, is complicated and, and prepares guys to go in the league, just like Alabama's and Georgia's. But you can't really run that at South Carolina. Um, well, I think, but uh, you know, no offense to Will Muschamp or anything, they're doing just fine at Georgia when you have those types of players. But, you know, we just got through with something like that where an overemphasis on the next level, you know, sort of torpedoed the culture of the program. Now, that's not happening with Beamer. Beamer's got the culture under control. He protects it, all that. But when you have a dumpster fire on offense and you keep talking NFL, 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 and then you're talking about these little tiny things sort of, you know, derail them, then and, and you got offensive linemen – that look like they're trying to uh, synchronize swim uh, and you got receivers in the same place, running the same to the same place, same route. Uh, you're confused. And, and then it all adds up to you keep running the same. Um, I'm personally not a fan of the inside zone. Uh, just I watch teams all the time struggle with it. Uh, I know it works. I'm not a football coach. I'm probably wrong about that. Uh, but when I go and look back, you know, these linemen and these backs South Carolina has uh, are usually better suited for a power game. That's weird to say because Wolford was a zone guy. Um, he recruited kind of like that. Again, athleticism. Uh, but it just so happened over when you look at the games and the performances, these, these guys, even Jovan Gwynn said it. And Gwynn's kind of more set up for the power. Um, Jeremy, what he said, he's like, well, we can line up and blow people off the ball. It's fine. Well, they're not doing that. There's all these sliding and all this other crap. Um, I'm not a fan of the inside zone, but you know, <laughs> South Carolina's run that play for a long time in all the different offenses they've had. Um, so I, I, I mean, it's here to stay. It's the base play. And I see a lot of NFL teams run it pathetically where it's, you know, paramount to run the football. So, so you can't run the football and your offensive – I mean, the offensive line, I've seen guys get, beat, you know, blown back. Yeah, no doubt. But guess what? Here's reality. That happens. That happens. You're in the SEC. You know, you, you face great defensive lines every week. You know, even East Carolina, being a school from the Carolinas, they're going to have some talent on the D-line. It's just going to happen. Um, there's not great offensive line talent throughout the South like there is in the Midwest, Midwest or even out West or even in Texas. That's just a fact. That's why everybody struggles up there in the SEC. And you can live with that. When a great player dominates your offensive line, you know, like Georgia did, or, yeah, chalk it up to them being better mano a mano. But when you're out there and you got guys just running free because – half the line pass blocks when half of them run block and they don't know what to do and they're turning guys loose and they look confused uh, and they're getting your quarterback hit and they're blowing up plays that are there. That means it's too complicated. You know, there, there've been other offensive lines at South Carolina 
go back to Spurrier or whatever. It's where it got to be too complicated. And they looked at him and well, you know, simplifier, get some guys out there that can do it, you know. Um, this is beyond anything I've ever seen. So, and I've been on this warpath. And look, I, I you guys know I'm never going to be critical unless it's just absolutely obvious. But there is something going on with this offense to where the guys just aren't getting it. And there's not a lot of dumb players on El South Carolina's roster. You got a lot of, I mean, South Carolina, I think, what academically leads the league and graduates. Some guys are grad, some guys are getting master's degrees. There's never been issues like this before. You know, like my Bobo had an issue last year with one of the quarterbacks not knowing anything about the offense, not really working to get it, get it. So it happens sometimes a quarterback, but that's a personal decision or whatever with an individual player. Everybody's confused. When Eric Douglas is confused, how much football that I mean, like I said, that guy's how he's what 45 years old. I'm just joking if Eric Douglas is listening, but he's been there a while, right? Eric Douglas visit, visited South Carolina at the end of the Spurrier era that summer. You know, he's old, not young. I couldn't believe Marcus Satterfield said, we're a young football team. What? Is that just cliche? I mean, look, I, mean, I don't care what coaches say to the media. I, I, don't, I don't ever get all fired up about that. I mean, you can say whatever you want. I don't, I don't care that Shane Beamer went from – sprained to broken to sprain or whatever. You know, we know here's what Luke Doty's injury is. It's just what Connor Shaw had in 2012. Spurrier called it a little crack in his foot. Uh, you know, it's just different terminology for different people. Uh, so I don't I don't get fired up about media stuff. I don't care. You know, it doesn't say whatever, you know. But this but the fact you say you're a young football team shows you're, you know, unless you're just wanting to that number one, it comes across as an excuse which excuses should be outlawed in a program. And I know Shane Beamer doesn't like excuses. And I, it wasn't intended to be an excuse. I don't know. But, you know, number one comes across as an excuse. Number two, it's just not true. You have a young quarterback, maybe that's what you meant to say. And that's true. Luke Doty's going to make his fourth start. But this is not a young football team, which makes it scary because in a couple of years that they will be. So if these guys can't get it, what are you going to do? So anyway, I've been on the warpath about that. I think they absolutely have to fix it, whether that's and, and there's there's other there's options here. Okay, so number one, it just clicks. Okay, took four games. It's clicking now, and then it works. Obviously, it's got to work once it clicks. Um, and it, you know, and everything's fine, and, and away Carolina goes. You know, number two, you simplify, and it clicks with the guys you got, the older guys. Number three, and this would be a shame if you're if you're dropping off in talent. I don't I don't know. You know, I haven't seen a lot of guys like Vinnie Murphy and Vershawn. I saw Vershawn Lee some last year and Tyson Wanamaker. Then then maybe you play other people and they get it. You know, kind of like you know Spurrier did in 05 and away you go. But something has to happen with the line. And it, it's amazing because, I, you know, back in 2016, and I, I know you fans have been through it a lot, you know, with terms of offensive line expectations, no doubt about it. This is way different than 2016 when Muschamp was like, that's the strength of the, the, the offense, the offensive line. 
because you had a lot of players coming back that, you know, had played well and stuff like that. Well, they weren't very good. They weren't very athletic. It was probably the worst offensive lines uh, Will Muschamp had at South Carolina, which, you know, they had 2018 was a good one. 2019 was a step back. 2020 was, again, kind of back toward the 2018 level. 2017 was much better than 2016, and those were all Wolf's offensive lines. He was there four seasons. Sean Elliott, of course, went to Georgia State. And I don't even blame Sean Elliott for that, but uh, that first line was was not very good, below average. Yet still, <laughs> they were good enough to, you know, when they got Jake in, Roper was calling the plays, and Debo got healthy, and Brian Edwards was – coming into his own, and Hayden Hurst was learning to play tight end. You had Casey Crosby out there. Rigo Dowdle was running the ball. They were still competent enough to, against the teams they had business moving it against, not Florida, not Clemson, to score points. You know, South Carolina's only played two SEC teams. You know, throw – and, you know, let's just look at FBS. You know, Eastern Illinois is – you know, Eastern Illinois actually did some good things against Carolina's offensive line because of the confusion, but they're an FCS team. You know, Carolina's up 29-0. It was, you know, it was a cakewalk, as it should be. But, you know, East Carolina, a big struggle, lots of confusion. Georgia, overwhelmed, still lots of confusion and a big struggle. I mean, you talk about it after the game, South Carolina felt like they had some missed opportunities because of it. You know, and then Kentucky was just completely inexcusable. You know, and I'm not saying it's gotten worse, but but it's not getting that much better. I don't care what what you're grading on. I mean, you know, it, it's embarrassing when you see some of the stuff you see. I know it's embarrassing to the players because they're not used to looking like that on TV or, or in the stadium. Uh, and it's embarrassing to the offense. It's embarrassing to the program. Um. Because they're better than that. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm not saying they're 95 Nebraska. I'm not saying they'll never get stuffed on a fourth and one again if they clean it up. That's unrealistic. But they're a lot better than they've been playing as a whole. Uh, and then individually, it's it, everybody's, you know, I mean, these guys, I could see if it were like one guy, you know, get him out. And I think Ja'Kai Moore has been out playing turning time when he's been in there. Okay, so so there's one guy replaced, but it's different culprits. You know, it's guys that are four year starters. I mean, it, you know, it, it's completely insane uh, what's been going on up there. So that's the way to get it. That's the way to get it. Okay, um, you know, you, you simplify that. I think offensively, you got to find a way to run the football, whether that's running other plays besides inside zone, outside zone. Uh, you know, heck, maybe if you fix the offensive line and simplify, you can run some inside zone, run in power. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I like it when they when they run power runs, pin and or pin and pull or outside outside zone. To me, is different than inside zone. But anyway, anything I'm like a A B I Z, anything but the inside zone. <laughs> but and then if you're going to run that, if you run it zone read style, where you let Luke keep it. Luke isn't going to go 30 yards if he's got green grass, but he can go 10, he can go five, and it keeps defenses honest. You know, that's somebody, well, Luke can't run because of his foot. That's not true. He's not as fast and explosive with his foot, but he can run. He kept it the other night. That kind of was a spark on that drive. That was a great drive. 
why isn't that kind of set up happening? So another, so, so there's that, you know, you've got to diversify the run game. And I think because the receivers are better than we thought, because you've got really good tight ends that you don't use, you know, because there's a crap ton of people around the line of scrimmage. Uh, I mean, it looks like a rugby scrum out there sometimes when Carolina's on offense. And because everybody kind of coming into the season, you had no tape on a Marcus Satterfield offense except seven years ago uh, at Temple, you probably study that. And then you probably just like read, well, what's the strength of the team? They got four good running backs. Yes, they do. They got four returning offensive linemen that are big and athletic. Yes, they do. They got good tight ends. Yes, they do. Why do we stop them? Well, East Illinois, East Carolina, Georgia, and Kentucky, same thing. Crowd the line of scrimmage, dare them to pass. 62% run on first down, 65% run on second down through four games. Yeah, it's not like 80, but that's on the predictable end. Um, So th- that's a play calling issue, right? Uh but there's no room. So, you're, you know, if you call those runs and you get six and four or six and three and you're third and one, great. Great. But, I mean, they're not only runs, they're not working. You're getting behind the chain. So, what do you do? Well, I, I, you know, since the receivers are better and Luke Doty's throwing the ball better, spread them out. You know, I've thought about this. I've said this all week. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast. Do like Skip Holtz did, talked his dad into, you know, after 99, which this offense right now is the worst offense so through four, since 1999. And that was an 0-11 team with a lot of catastrophic injuries that didn't have a fraction of the togetherness and culture and brotherhood that's been established through the offseason. So there were issues with that team beyond that. And then Lou was running an offense from 1988 that, you know, you played Carlos by some at quarterback, you played Mikhail Goodman at quarterback, Kevin Sides, Kyle Crabb. Finally, Petty came back. Last two games against Florida and Clemson, they lost, but they were competitive. So what happened between, you know, 2000 or 99 and 2000? Well, Skip said, hey, Dad, we need to spread it out and run it. And – you know, that uh, South Carolina can't go out there and run the Skip Holtz offense from 2000. They, things have changed. Defenses have caught up, whatever. But the concept and the basic principle remains the same. There's not enough room to run, okay? There are too many defenders creeping up on you. How can you – how can you back them off? Well, you can spread it out and throw to set up the run like a lot of coaches do. A lot of teams do that. You're going to crowd my line of scrimmage. I'm going to throw it all over you all day. And I think, the, you know, the, are the Gamecocks able to chunk it around the yard for like 428 yards and go high wire? Probably not. But they're competent enough, and there's enough options, in, you know, at receiver and tight end and guys that can make big plays to where – you should be able to make them play, you know, if that's how they're going to play you. And it's pretty obvious that's how teams are playing. You know, Kentucky disguised a little bit. They creep guys in at the end. But after a while, it was obvious what, you know, what they're doing. South Carolina, you either throw it or you spread them out. Because in defensive football, the defender has to account. So 
when you come into like a bunch formation, which they like doing, which I like the bunch formation, but I like it for teams sort of like Alabama where you got three stud receivers and you put out there on the bunch and you run the RPO and you're like, well, where are they going to go? Defender doesn't know. And then these guys run four fours. They're gone. South Carolina doesn't really have that. They do have competent receivers, though, more competent than I thought. You know, guys like Amari and Brown need to be throwing the ball. You know, Rico Powers caught two, EJ Jenkins, Josh Van, Jalen Brooks. You know, they, I just listed five guys. And that's not to mention Jaheim Bell and Nick Muse, you can split out. That's not to mention Zaquandre White and Juju McDowell, who you can split out or put in motion or whatever. I'm not an offensive coordinator, guys. These are just things I notice. Uh, get people away from the line of scrimmage because you're, you're not you're not ever going to be able to run the ball like that. Okay, that's that's number one. You can spread them out, uh, or number two, you can throw to run. You know, and 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 that, you know, hey, you, you may have some incompletions. That's fine. At least they know you're willing to do it, and they're going to back her. Even if you throw it deep, and there's another drop pass, that defensive corner is going to go, oh crap. We should probably cover that. <laughs> so anyway, so so there's that with that. You know, they need to fix the offense. It's a bottom line. Can you fix it in a week? I think so, because the mistakes aren't like. I mean, the the, the performance isn't really based on like injuries or lack of players or you know waiting for somebody to get back or or whatever. It's just based on confusion. You're supposed to confuse the defense, not your own players. So I think there's a lot of overthinking going on. I can't help but think the NFL thing has a lot to do with it. I've railed and been honest for years that South Carolina cannot run a traditional pro-style offense. I kind of got, you know, talked into it, talked into it a little bit, not by anybody personally, but reading some of the stuff, you're like, well, look at what Brady did at LSU when he came back. He worked for Joe Brady and, you know, Kentucky hired this guy from the Rams and, and you look at pro offenses and they're way more dynamic and creative than maybe some of the new college offenses. And so you, so you, you think, well, the definition of a pro style offense, much like the definition of a pro style quarterback has gone out the door and it's a new era. So you're like, yeah, cool. This could work. What I didn't expect was coming in here, running a complex NFL scheme. Now, again, I'm not, I can't confirm that. I just know it's too complicated. You know, whether they just brought the Panthers playbook in and said, this is what we're going to do, everything the Panthers do, or whether there's just the, the blocking scheme is a little too complicated, whatever the, the situation is, it's too complicated. You know, like I said, I'm not, I am not uh, ruling out everything clicking and gelling because sometimes in football, it takes a little while to gel. That's the bottom line. And you get better and you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to gel. I'd be surprised if that were the case. But, you know, heck, uh, we'll find out some this weekend. And this gets me to the prediction uh, segment of the podcast. It's prediction Thursday slash Friday, Thursday evening prediction. Uh, and I would really, 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 like to thank uh, our sponsor of this segment, and that's Cindy Searfoss, Caldwell, Banker, Kane, uh, a tremendous husband uh, called Dr. Rob. 
He uh, emails in sometimes. If you need anything real estate in the upstate, give her a call. Uh, she's a diehard, married to a diehard Gamecock fan, been in the upstate for over 35 years. You can contact Cindy, 864-414-5271, 864-414-5271. Email her, C. Searfoss, that's C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at cbcane.com. That's C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. The proud sponsor of the weekly Gamecock score prediction. So this game sets up pretty interesting. I've known who Chip Lindsey was, the coach at Troy for years. Real, real good respect for their program after Neil Brown left, probably fell on hard times. You know, Troy and Carolina have played several times over the years. They always, you know, back in the day, Troy would scare the hell out of, you know, um, I uh, <laughs> I remember because they had some good football teams. Don't forget, they um, knocked off LSU and Coach O. I think in 2018 down at uh, down at Death Valley and the Baton Rouge. So um, this is the fourth all-time meeting. First meeting was in Lose last year, 17-7, low-scoring game in Columbia. Spurrier's first year, 45-20. And then, really, the last time they played, pretty impressive win by South Carolina. But they're up 56-7 at halftime. Because um, the Gamecocks were coming off that win in the swamp uh, over Florida to clinch the SEC East. I, you know, that, that win was so special for the program. Um, I think it was one of the top two or three most important wins in program history. You could argue that one or Alabama that year was more important or Georgia in a couple of years. But it was an important important win uh, down in the swamps. So you're coming off that, you got Troy, who's usually tricky, coming in. And then Clemson, which was – Clemson was a 500-football team in 2010. And an impressive coaching job by Spurrier to keep the guys focused and go out there and run it up. 69-24 uh, over Troy. And then they beat Clemson 29-7 the next week. Uh, that was a really good game. You know, you had uh, Pat DeMarco called a touchdown. Ace Sanders called a long one. Lattimore, I think, had three rushing touchdowns. Seth Strickland threw a touchdown that day. They almost scored 70. It was it was a good deal. And then, of course, you know, Gamecocks went to the Georgia Dome. Uh later so you know that, that that's the deal with that you know that was a good one so this is the first time since 2010 these two teams have met again carolina's 3-0 in the series you, you look back um at what troy's done this year and you know i've been, I've been talking about louisiana monroe like they're bad um sort of laughing at terry bowden's tie and stuff i got a lot of respect for terry bowden uh, Rich Rodriguez is his OC there. They they looked competitive early against Kentucky, and Kentucky ended up blowing them out. But since then, they beat Jacksonville State, who beat Florida State 12 to 7. And then they they beat Troy pretty good last week, 29-16. Unfortunately, Rhett Rodriguez, Rich's son, who's the quarterback at Louisiana Monroe, got hospitalized with a lung injury, seriously, lung injury. Um, and the deal with them is they're good on defense. They're very fundamentally sound. Uh, they play their assignments. They got good athletes on that side of the ball. Nothing overwhelming. And uh, 
if South Carolina goes out there and makes all those mistakes like they have been, Troy could win the football game. Troy could win the football. I'm going to say it right now. Troy could win. Uh, I hope there's a different result. But when you have offense that you can't get on the same page and you're making mistakes and you're good for one touchdown drive a game, uh, Troy's offense is anemic. They're not very good. You know, you, you never know what could happen. I mean, you could have a bust. Of the, you, mean, you only get one touchdown. Uh, hypothetically, let's say you fumble. Or eh, South Carolina had been turning it over. Let's say one of your linemen steps the wrong way because that's been happening. Quarterback fires the ball, goes up off his helmet. The Troy guy gets it, runs it in the end zone, touchdown. Okay, seven seven. It's everybody around the country is going. My goodness, this game's ugly. Fourth quarter comes. You're trying to go down and kick the game winning score, and. Uh, you don't get it. Well, your defense is back out on the field. Save us once again. Uh, coaches have that one play, you know, that they've designed that's if it's all executed right, it's going to work. You get pressure, quarterback throws it. Receiver, though, is wide open because there's a busted assignment, which happens. Get the ball at the 20-yard line. Time's running out. Timeout. Their field goal kicker nails it through the uprights, and you've lost to Troy 10-7. to And that's what happens to teams that can't score. You, you, you lose to a team that, you know, isn't even a, one of the best in the Sun Belt. But the matchups get you. And you can't expect your defense to hold teams to less than seven. That's unrealistic. So there we go. You know, that's, uh, that's the scenario that South Carolina is looking at if their offense is still only good for a touchdown. Now, you say, J.C., it's Troy. You're going to hold this against them. You know, they played Kentucky and Georgia the last two weeks. No, not holding against them. They only scored one offensive touchdown against East Carolina, too. You know, and if it were just like this offense isn't talented enough and they're very limited skill, what like last year's offense, you know, I, I've said for a while, Bobo's play call and really – kept that offense alive, you have one receiver, you know, I'd kind of be like, listen, you know, this has defense has to really step up because the offense is limited. They don't have play, but there's, there's players. It's mental errors. That's why it's so bad right now. So looking at the matchups, I'm, I'm not going to go and predict a loss. That would be, you know, that would be me doing that because in my heart, I don't believe they're going to lose. And in my mind, I don't believe they're going to lose. I'm just sending a warning. You guys remember after South Carolina lost to Georgia in 2013, 41-30, and there were dumpster fire type issues on defense with Deke Adams and Kirk Bakken getting in fights and Deke and his, you know, kabuki theater type of defensive line uh, scheme. I guess that was a scheme. Uh, you know, just a huge step down from Brad Lawing and, you know, Whammy, the D.C., was more of a, a defensive backs guy, so he didn't call the front. I mean, it was just a mess. Bakken and Deke almost come to blows. You remember what I said? And everybody got mad at me. Mad, really mad. I said this could be in 2014 because, you know, Clowney was still there. Quarles was still there. They turned it around. They weren't an ideal defense that whole season, but 
there were some games, by God, they got after it. But they were losing personnel the next season. I said, 2014 could be one of the worst defenses South Carolina's ever had. And lo and behold, unfortunately, I was right. I don't do that too often. Here's the warning. Just like then, this needs to be fixed. Uh, that 2014 defense, they didn't bother to fix it through like they needed to go get really honest to God, go get some, they needed to get a new D-line coach. They needed to, uh, one that could call the front. They needed to go recruit some JUCO D-linemen and stuff like that. They didn't do it. In fact, Lorenzo Ward told Steve Spurrier they were going to be better than 2013. Psych. By the way, Lorenzo Ward, good game plan against Kentucky uh, for Chattanooga. That, that, that game, anyway. We're going to flush Kentucky. Kentucky plays Florida this weekend. But anyway, so that's the kind of warning I'm giving right now uh, as far as this game Saturday goes. I'm not going to sit there and talk about next year. Next year's next year's next year, you know. Um, in 2013, that loss to Georgia was costly down the road, and you're, you're sort of just – the game cars were in a different spot at that point. Right now – Tier one of a new head coach, new system, all that. And I, I don't – that's not an excuse, by the way. New system is not – not an excuse at all uh, for, 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 the, for the way they've looked and the results. You know, you know th this offense looks bad. There's embarrassing moments. Uh, and then on top of that, they're just not productive. So, you know, that, that's kind of the triple whammy. Uh, so that's my warning for you – for you know, out there in the universe, I guess, uh, is that if this offense does not change and get better, they could lose to Troy. They could lose to Vandy. Vandy's bad. Could lose to Vandy. Could lose Tennessee. Now, if they fix it, you look down the road, everybody on the schedule's got issues just about, except Florida right now. This could be a very good first year for Shane Beamer. I mean, tremendous, better than expected. But you got to fix the offense. So adding everything together and thinking about kind of how these things go, uh, I'm going to go on the conservative side of my prediction here, and I'm going to say 17-12 Gamecocks. And everybody just collectively screamed, what? Now, I don't like making predictions as it is, and I don't really care – Look, if I'm wrong and they blow them out, I'm happy. I'm fine. I'll admit it. That was just a gut feeling. But, you know, just the way Troy plays and the issues Carolina has and the fact it's been four games, you know, you've really got to sit there and you can't really say, ah, they're going to score 45. And Troy's got a good defense. Sometimes these G, you know, G5 schools, they're really good on one side of the ball. And, um, you know, not all that good on offense, but they got a good play caller. And, you know, you, you never know. They may dial something up that surprises everybody. You know, that, that happens to defenses. So that's my prediction. South Carolina 17, Troy 12. They'll go to three and two. We'll have another week of talking about the offense. And go to Tennessee the next week, a game that they, you know, when you circle everything, they needed to win. <laughs> 